Welcome to the Creative Industry Insight Podcast, a podcast that looks at various roles in the creative world. I'm your host, Bobby. Today's guests, sound designers Chris Battaglia and Chris Tahoon, join us to talk about their work on the TV show, The Last of Us. Please be warned, there are heavy spoilers in this episode. So sit back and relax as we jump into the conversation with Chris B and Chris T. Hi guys, thank you for joining me. Uh, today I've got guest. Well, today I've got a guest who both have the same first name, so we will refer to them as Chris T. Hey, how's it going? And we've also got Chris B. Hi, how are you doing? Thank you guys for joining me today to talk about The Last of Us. I'm really excited to sort of dive into a show that's kind of taking the internet and world by storm at the moment. Well, thanks for waking up early to talk to us. Yeah, we're excited to be here. I'll happily get up any time to record a podcast, um, especially when you've got, um, when it's something that's like something that I'm really excited to talk about and dive in. I've got, I was spending time at my work yesterday writing out questions and hopefully I can add some more to those as well. I guess at the moment, like how are you guys finding the reaction and reception for the show? Pretty amazing. I catch myself actually talking to random people all the time about the show and just, it's just like an, a, a virus that keeps spreading. It's funny because I just keep having these new um, perspectives on the show and, you know, how people are feeling about certain characters and, you know, and then I get to talk about, and that's just, that's just random without n- anyone knowing that I worked on the show. And then I get to kind of fold that into it. And it's just been, it's been a really fun experience. Yeah. I mean, same. It's been pretty amazing. We were both, really excited to be working on it and then I th- we were like oh i think people are gonna like this but to actually have this huge reaction has been i think pretty like i don't know it's like it, it feels really good and it's also like just pretty um i don't think either of us expected it to blow up in the same way that it ha- in the way that it has right it feels like it would be you know obviously the the game had such a following but to for even for even like people that i mean i've talked to people that love the show <laughs> and you know mention oh it's yeah it's so rad how like it follows so true to the the game and then kind of it expands on character development that we never got in the game and people like it was a game and so it's just funny to like see both <laughs> sides of like you know the fan base that it's like they're hardcore and then it brings in like this whole new fan base and now people are like i oh, now i gotta play the game you know and it's it's been pretty fun do you ever have those moments where somebody's like oh man that show fucking sucks like these what are these people who are working on it doing and then you kind of be like ah uh i'm gonna step away from this conversation (laughs) i've luckily not experienced those um you know that uh i know that those kinds of people exist that i've experienced that on other projects but on this Mm -hmm. one honestly the the reaction has been so positive that i i feel like it's been really lucky you know we're really lucky and, and really fortunate that everybody I, yes it's similar to to chris terhoon like you know like i i've every single person i've talked to has just been over the moon excited and like or people are obsessed or and so just like want to know what happens in next week and it's it's been really amazing to hear these audience reactions and honestly yeah everything's been very positive which is which also is just great i think having the episode release uh, week by week has really kind of left audiences wanting more I feel like that sort of water cooler talk about the show has really helped instead of just sort of 
doing the Netflix model of it. Yeah, well, that's what I always liked about HBO in general. Like they have that kind of old school like television vibe where you have to, you know, you get something to talk about it, like the water cooler on a Monday morning, you know, like I remember that like the big the last big show for me that was like that. That was just like everyone was so engaged was like Breaking Bad. And I just remember every Monday, you know, you just have your your crew that you would just like obsess about what's going to happen next or everyone's opinions. So I've always appreciated that HBO is kind of stuck to that weekly release as opposed to like a binging thing. And like a, like binging has its its time and place. But man, something like so cinematic and something that creates a culture, it would I feel like it would it wouldn't benefit as well if it was bingeable, because like how many times have you had a conversation with somebody that's bingeable? Like, oh, have you watched this or that? And then you realize like you've gone further than one other person. So then you then the conversation just stops. Um, like, oh, I got to I got to no spoilers, no spoiler, you know, like. Yeah, exactly. Like, oh, I haven't got that far at all. And it's like, OK, well, I guess <laughs> we'll just move on. And it's like, well, that's not fun. Yeah, so I, think I appreciated that about true. HBO. I, I'm right there with you. I mean, I think the other part of that, too, is by releasing it weekly, it gives a lot more. Or like it gives a lot of importance to each episode. And so like you sit there and you digest it and you talk about each episode as opposed to like talking about the entire season as a whole. And I think with like the like the full bingeable release model, like you end up talking about the whole season more complete. But like on this, you know, I, I feel like it gives a lot of importance for each character and each moment and every scene. And it, it I feel like it adds a lot of impact. Yeah. And on top of that, what you're saying, no spoilers, You the conversation goes on more and i don't know as you said as well it's like something so cinematic but it's also very it's so subject matter can be quite heavy in terms of what's happening on screen so if you're binging that then like watching whatever eight hours straight of something like that surely that would have taken a toll but you would not appreciate what's going around you as well yeah Yeah, it's very true i've had some friends who were like i'm gonna i'm gonna binge it i'm like uh good luck i mean (laughs) Honestly, like, like I don't think it's a show based off of these characters and these stories. I mean, some of this stuff gets really heavy. I don't think I can, like, if I were watching this without having worked on it, I don't think I could just sit there and binge it because I, I need to take a moment, you know, for some of these characters with some of these, like, these tragedies or or these just very emotional scenes and these, and, and these stories. So, like, yeah, I also think that you're totally right and that it adds to that. Yeah, and just makes it more and more enjoyable, I think. As you said, if you're saying your friend's going to binge watch it, it's like, yeah, you don't know what's going to hit you in certain episodes and you're going to be like, uh, you will need to take a breather. Um, well, and then you just kind of become numb to when you sit down and just kind of like drop everything around you and just like focus on 40 an hour or maybe hour and a half of content. Then it's like, cool, you can give it all your attention. But then it's like, oh, I'm just going to sit on the couch for eight hours and binge something. It all kind of runs together. And then you kind of lose track and you don't have time to kind of like soak it in and think about it. So that's I think that's important, too, because then you just become numb to a, a, a season. And then I feel like at that point, I mean, it could be good, but it's just, you know, it doesn't hit you the same. Anyways, like it's just uh, I think I just love that old that old model of just, you know, weekly entertainment, you know, and 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 having the having the the interactions with your friends or family and getting to talk about it because that's kind of part of the entertainment like it's to to have buzz and talk about so it's it's you know i i again like i like i like that hbo continues to do that yeah and i, I think one of the coolest things about the way this show in particular is airing is you know it's that video game adaptation and full credit goes to, to craig mazin the showrunner on this one for writing and, and putting it together this way but it, you know it's like because it's that that the adaptation from the game it's you know you have a 
section of a story that would have been like a level or a um that now is a, a single character story you get to like focus on that and it, it also lends itself to that week to week where you really get to enjoy this this section in these people yeah and you have those i think they have the episodes out quite well in terms of who gets airtime and what sort of stories they're telling um you're not just following uh joel and ellie you know look at episode three for example or even part of episode five you even though these two characters are the main the main characters and you want to follow on their journey it also gives you a glimpse of what other people's life is like during the apocalypse and how it's kind of turned for the better rather than or in some cases worse so i guess to start from the beginning how did the project come about and who is responsible for what when creating the different soundscapes um i think we're all just really big fans of the game and so um you know, I, I was brought on pretty early to start developing world and, and recording a lot of sounds um, and, and recording a lot of like abandoned buildings and going out in the desert and recording scrap metal and things like that, because I knew we were going to get that material. And then the we realized pretty early on the scope of work was just too big for a single sound designer. And so we, we really brought in Chris Terhoon, that who's just so good with creatures and so good with adapting IP to, to focus on the infected. And so uh, I don't know, Chris, do you want to talk about that stuff? I got, you know, I got brought in after Chris, um, once I think they realized the the world is pretty big and, you know, we just needed, we just needed some a pair of hands that can really separate two big, uh, food groups. And, you know, there's definitely some episodes where we both laid a lot of foundation in, but like, man, I, all credit goes to Chris and for building that world and in that apocalypse. And, you know, I got, I got kind of reined in to just t- really focus on the infected with, with Craig Mazin. And that was one thing he really wanted me to to hone in on and make sure the clickers right, make sure the bloaters are right. And, you know, the runners and what does that sound like? You know, when it, it's not just your normal, I know, yeah, I know it's not a zombie show, but it's just not your normal zombie sound. You know, what does it sound like when someone's really sick with, with, you know, pneumonia in their lungs or what other, whatever lung diseases and liquids and all that kind of stuff you really wanted to really dial in and focus on. And we spent so much time like recording and, figuring out like what's too much where where do we tell the line as far as it's sounding like a monster or sounding uh, too too hollywood and too polished and he really wanted to make sure it sounded as real as it can be so i mean I just that was i think that was one of the coolest directions across the entire board is like unlike a lot of television or even you know or feet like feature films we like both chris and i the direction was make it grounded make it real, make it detailed, because so much of this is so quiet. And there's actually so many opportunities for sound to shine in because there's whole sections without music, you know, and they really are pushing sound forward. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's one of the coolest things that, I don't know, Chris, Ter, you know, Chris Terhoon got the direction on, which, you know, it's part of those conversations, but it was make them sound sick, you know, not, not a zombie. They're not monsters. They were sick. And so, I don't know, I think you did such a good job of doing that. Thank you. And definitely a lot of R&D on how to, because the hardest thing about adding fluid to a performance or lungs and stuff is making sure it feels connected and not doesn't feel like sound effects are on top of each other. So it was a lot of trying to figure out how to, you know, make it hand in glove and and homogenous in a way where it didn't feel like a sound effect. And it felt like just like a sick person. And it's obviously we're not going to go 
and and you know get people with pneumonia and stuff to come in the ADR booth and record stuff. <laughs> so we had kind of had a, we had to kind of figure that out. And you know, Craig Craig and I spent a lot of time together just just going down those roads and and seeing what worked and what didn't. So that was a lot of fun. I think one of the other big things about just in general about how this the work got split up is we're both really big fans of the games, like big big fans, and like those stories and those characters. And we really felt we wanted to do those do them justice. So I know we were both working really hard. You know, I I was really like, well, we need to get the world right. You know, that was kind of the first thing we really dove in on is focusing just because like the world is such a character itself. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I mean, this, every building had to creak and making sure that every building sounded a little different from the other ones so that they didn't actually overlap. But also just being a big fan of the game. I mean, just doing the justice. I mean, Chris, clickers and bloaters. And I mean, these like the infected, the players and fans of this series already know what these sound like, but not in these contexts, you know? It's like, mm -hmm. it's, gameplay is so different in terms of how the sounds translate than into uh, into television. And so yeah. like, I know, like there's just so much work to be put in to make sure that every moment feels as impactful as it can and that the familiar sounds sound familiar, but like that they're doing things that are new. And so making whole new kits of stuff that that are able to actually translate to the screen. When you have a show that's like, because this kind of leads to my next question as well about pre-existing source material. But when you have a show like this where it's quite interesting how you make one point crispy about this is going to be a show of a lot of empty buildings, a lot of creaking, a lot of those sort of when you're walking around, it's like, did I hear that correctly? Is there something? Is there something there? Or is something going to collapse on me at any moment? But then with Christy, it's quite interesting to hear about having to think about how somebody who has like a chest infection is going to sound on screen and i think what the a really good example of that is in episode three when ellie sees somebody infected in the basement and they're mm -hmm. sort of just sort of struggling to breathe and yeah, you really that, get a sense of that there exactly and it's, it's kind of funny to hear that there's someone sitting there create curating that sound to make sure that it doesn't sound like this person sounds off, that actually it sounds like this poor, but this person who's performing this, that it sounds correct, that they're breathing like that. Right. Yeah, that was a fun, that was a fun little moment too, where we decided on the stage actually. So maybe this is a moment where you can feel the evolution from a runner to a clicker type of thing. So we tried to almost like, even, even with like the, the, you know, the, the lung infected breathing and kind of give like the um also like the vocal fryness of of a clicker in there as well. So it's like you can almost feel like the evolution and how they turn. Um so it's just like kind of kind of painting little little nods at things and in, in those situations where it's like quiet and really focused. And I thought that was a lot of fun to do too. Yeah, I think like that's the other part about it too is like in the game, you you have really and it's a gameplay mechanic, you know, you have certain kind of infected that are meant to attack you in normal ways. Then you have the clickers, which, and everything's really separate, but with having those things blend, I mean, it, it makes it so much like to ground it in reality. I mean, Chris, you had to work really, I know you how much work you put into making that actually work like into, into for it to be believable that this is an in-between state between these, these, which would normally just be a, a, an enemy type. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and the reality of it. I mean, it's just like to make it feel like this is a real thing that is a threat could attack Ellie in that basement. I think it's just it's a 
but just like feeling that that reality and the, and the, how grounded this is so that as an audience member you buy into whatever's on screen and, and aren't thinking about it that you're just buying into the story in that moment right because the show has is pre, has pre-existing source material how do you go about creating your own version does having a, like a previous source material to refer to hinder that or with it being different mediums it doesn't really matter that much I think for something like this, like you have to listen to the the source material and 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 honor that IP just because, you know, like what Chris said, the the fans know the sound. But it was like I got, you know, I got a lot of help with uh Phil from Phil Kovats, who was one of the audio leads on the first one. And he kind of was he would come into my studio at Warner and and just kind of give me like the blessing and the green light of like, yep, this is it. This is this is correct in and maybe like even give me notes about like oh maybe like in episode two in the in the museum he would kind of give me direction on like oh this clicker would bark out some clicks to feel the room here or there and just kind of like put a bit more story on what on what they're doing um that was a huge help the story behind the clickers that was the first scene i did was the museum scene and i just did it myself i used my voice and it's like, oh, I can do vocal fries and I can kind of try to reverse engineer that. And I did it, I did it to the best of my ability. But, you know, the truth of it was, is, you know, the, the Misty Lee and Phil Kovats, who were the original clickers in the game, at this point, like their voices are so recognizable um, if you played the game and do my best. And I did, you know, I, I slugged all my stuff in and I showed Craig and he's like, no, this isn't right. This isn't right. And try again. And finally, I was like, we have to get, you know, we have to get the people that did the voices. That's, I think that's just the missing element. And so then we set up an ADR day where they came in and we just, um, just recorded a ton of stuff. And the first time, you know, Phil did his like iconic, everyone was like, oh, that's it. That's it. So then we just recorded a ton of that stuff and using that as a source material, it felt like the game, but I had way more flexibility on, on how I wanted to use it and, um, as opposed to just like the the video game engine stuff, which is pretty hard to use on screen. So having that having that support from the original sound designers and the the the, the voice characters was like huge for me to to make sure I nailed that. So couldn't have done it without them. <laughs> yeah, we had a lot of support from from the game team actually, although we didn't actually use any of their source, um, which was the big thing. Was Chris talked to or spoke spoke with Phil a lot, and had and then I had. To people, um, Bo Jimenez and and Jesse Garcia, who guided me on a lot of stuff, and you know, really trying to. I think it was just like we, even if we're not using the original sounds, we're translating them as closely as we can to screen. Mm-hmm. You know, Chris Terhune had the the clickers and the bloater and all, all the infected, um, but even like the infected scanner is is matched all the way to the pitch. You know, uh, like to make sure it's it's as perfect as it can, but also just so they can do the new things that we need them to do on screen that didn't necessarily happen. Um, or weren't as given as much prominence as they uh, in the game. So we do, I think it was just like the big the big thing that I think both of us felt was we really wanted to do it justice, and we really wanted to just honor it while translating it and making it as engaging as possible for this this new audience. Yeah, because I can imagine that if you have you have that source, it would be quite easy just to sort of go to the well quite often, and it's like the meme: you can copy me, just change it a bit. and and that's what i can imagine would be quite tempting to do but but because there's there's a lot more to it 
I think you kind of want to build up your own world with it and put your own own touch to it as well. Yeah, I mean, that's exactly it. Like we, because the game engine, correct me if I'm wrong, Chris, the game engine actually was the thing that produced the random, the random different sounds. It would take in, it would take in a bunch of different clicks and in, in, in vocal performances, just like a handful of that, but it would also then produce, you know, all the, all the, the stuff in the game that we just didn't have access to. Yeah. It's so, from what I, like, yeah, a lot of the stuff and the material and the sounds in the game are all engine and procedurally generated. So they're not even really prepared to be translated to the screen or be edited in the way that we would need for film and TV, you know, and, and this, it's, and this one it's obviously TV, but it's a very, I feel like it's so cinematic. And some of these episodes are so long too. We treat everyone as, as uh, detailed and, and as important as if it was a movie. Trying to, trying to actually pull material from the game is just really, really difficult because they're not, they're not set up to, to be pulled for that kind of thing. You know, it's all, it's a, uh, it's meant to be played. And so like, yeah, I mean, you having to hand edit hand edit, you know, mouth clicks and for the clickers and the vocals and the screeches is a little different than a game scripting out what the rhythms could possibly be. Yeah. Cause in beat for beat in a show too, like those clicks. Yeah. For a clicker, just to like, just kind of have random clicks out in a game, but as opposed to a television show, it's like when, you know, Joel's hiding down the hall and he's trying to like quietly load his gun and like that one down the hall, it's just like, it's got like very specific clicks that you kind of have to control. And on the stage, you know, like, like Craig would literally be like, Oh, just one more. Oh, just, you know, maybe just a half a second later or half a second earlier. Ah, maybe just get rid of that first. You have to have all that. You have to have control over all that. So no, yeah, that's that's just kind of like that. That was the big key of it is just having the control over the material. And so, yeah, to have <laughs> to reverse engineer everything that they thought of how to make in a matter of a few weeks was it was definitely a, a huge challenge, but pretty I'm pretty stoked on the outcome. I, I think we're also both just really happy with how the fans have responded to that kind of stuff. You yeah. know, the best compliment you can get is that this is that the sound from the game? And it's like, yeah, like, no, that's the best compliment like that that I think Chris can get. You know, it's like that fans it's so close it's so close that it's it's people are unsure of exactly where it came from is just awesome mm -hmm. i agree that's the best compliment you get is that is that from the games like no it's all all my all my hard work but there's also a uh, interesting point that you made is the um uh, the clicker sound being like just add the extra second there or just to add a little bit more there because it's just it sounds like you could have a lot of fun with that clicker sound but the clicker sound also is like, well, if we just sprinkle a tad bit more here, you're sprinkling more tension into the scene um, and just sort of build up to what's happening on screen. Right. Or or just taking out clicks, right? Like that could, that was even, especially in the museum, like with that that space down the hall and being able to play with the verb, just being able to like, okay, I think it'd be scarier for like, you just hear like, as opposed to like just in it in it and how it excites the space is kind of what makes it even creepier yeah you totally just touched on the thing that i was going to say was like it's actually like the quiet sometimes is way more tense and all those little tiny floor creaks and this and the scuffs of their shoes and their their movement and their and joel and ellie and tess's breathing and and just like feeling all those tiny, tiny sounds where you know that if they make anything louder than, you know, dust, <laughs> that they're going to be attacked, you know, which is what like, like that little tiny glass break moment is like can add so much tension where, where if you, we filled it with cacophony and filled it with 
the clicker's vocals, then sometimes that tension would get broken up. So yeah, muting those things out and really building in those silences, which aren't really silences, you know, all those quiet sounds are just as important as the guns in those scenes to build tension. You're great. You just created a great segue to my next question, because <laughs> what I wanted to focus on is that there's the show is filled with scenes that are full of tension, but also a lot of drama in them. Is there a difference in the way that you create the sounds, sound design for them? So some scenes that come to mind is the clicker scene in episode two uh, in the museum. Bill and Frank's last meal scene in episode three, and then also entering the infected in episode five. Big differences in terms of what the tension is or what the scene is. And I think it ultimately comes down to story, you know, like what's the what's the important mood for these moments? You know, something like the the truck into the chaos, into the plane crash, and then all of the aftermath of that in, in, in episode one has a, a big difference in the kind of tension than the clickers or the infected scene, you know, the, the clicker scene in episode two or the infected scene in episode five. I think that it's all about what we're trying to accomplish in in those scenes. You know, the like for talking about tension, the tension of Nana, which <laughs> Chris could probably talk about, um, you know, attacking the neighbors and then going after Sarah and then getting in the truck and, and going down and getting through the field and then going through the city and the city bursting into chaos. And then like, you know, the the plane falling out of the sky and, and exploding. It's a real big, it's very, very tense and a lot, and a lot of momentum there. I think that's a totally different kind of tension than what, uh, than the stuff that we had to do in the clicker scene where it's quiet and it's that quiet silence of, of, um, impending almost horror, you know, um, from these, from these infected. Yeah. <laughs> he's, he's absolutely right. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I quite like in the show is the juxtaposition of both scenes where it is the tension is a lot of silence that you mentioned before and ha- and just uh, adding in those creaks or those sign sounds where like yourself when it has been silent you kind of look over your shoulder a bit more to think did i hear something correctly oh completely. is there something there we you... definitely worked in in you know we tried to like sprinkle some like was that a what is that what i thought it was type of moments like doors or whatever just to kind of like give little nods of maybe what's ahead or maybe not ahead and that was that was fun yeah building those little tiny moments of of like putting people on edge and then pulling them back and then pushing them back in the world i think it's one of the difficult things in designing this show is that there's so many quiet moments that are really supposed to be beautiful and don't have tension you know where you're it's joel and ellie just walking through the woods or walking down fields or you know, Bill and Frank in their strawberries or in this in this latest episode in the mall, you know, there's really moments of beauty um, and like a personal connection of these these stories and, and these characters and like trying to create those kinds of quiet versus the kinds of horror quiet of like Ellie in the basement or them in the tunnels where you think there might be infected or... But- but also with with those like Joel and Ellie walking through the woods or the mall or, you know, whatever those spaces are, I think with the the way the show was filmed and the, the drama it's created and the tension is created, it's like you can almost, there's almost horror within the piece too, which is like, oh man, like everyone just feels too safe, you know? So it's like shit can just go down at any moment. And I think that's what's so great about that, like, you know, you can have half hour of, of nothing that really happens but there's still a bit of tension there just because of the world that that these filmmakers have built and 
that that also helps us is like again like yeah that quietness is 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 peaceful but like something can just happen you know like like the mall for instance so that's a lot of fun for me in that show it's just you know you just never know <laughs> even if you play the game like you can kind of like oh i know it's going to go down and there's spoilers but like they you know there's there's it's just twisted enough where you know what's going to happen but it happens a, a bit differently but the same if that makes sense well yeah you know you know that things are going to happen and i think that you know that those tension like those tensions often pay off in in but sometimes in unexpected ways like like with bill and frank where you're like frank why, bill why are you letting this guy in your house you don't know him. <laughs> <laughs> but then it, it ends up being just a beautiful love story, you know? And like, uh, I, sometimes I think it's one of the best parts about this show is like the tension doesn't always release in the way that you expect it to. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. And I think having those mixture of, of those scenes. So as you said, the allowing, even with like the Bill and Frank, like allowing someone into your house or even just opening them up into your life completely changes that but then also as you're mentioning the whole mall sequence because on screen it feels very much a quite a wholesome moment for someone to discover all of it, a past life effectively and having everything frozen in time and then also being introduced to the game Mortal Kombat which which I'm curious about is that because you have those certain things that are related to to real life so for example a mortal kombat game do you create the sound design for that or do you get the licensing rights instead to be inserted to the game of the game into the show i mean about using the original source of show from mortal kombat just because he just want i mean he's obviously such a fan of that game too he was nerding out about it but like yeah we we i mean we got all the licensing i think for that game and some other games too right chris yeah i think so i'd like some of the stuff that was on screen for that for that arcade, we all we had to be pretty diligent and make sure that everything got licensed because mm -hmm. otherwise we're trying to recreate something that's that that's signature and and classic and iconic, you know, and like like that gong when it first starts was like such yeah, a big deal, such a big deal to make sure that we felt like the bass and the power of that machine turning on as you put on those coins and you know and making sure that when they flip those breakers and you get into those into that arcade that you feel like you're in that arcade with all the games going off, everything's exciting and new and, and like. Yeah. It's, it's a it's a story point for Ellie to be just amazed by this thing that she'd never be around. And this also goes down to that grounded and real across everything. If we just start recreating sounds that everybody already knows, it's like, well, we want to make sure that people really buy into this as being a real person and story mm -hmm. and into like this being a real world um, and not like like a Hollywood cinematic thing. And so we like just I, we were pretty diligent in making sure that those sounds were right. Right. And it just feels, I think, as a viewer, it feels more satisfying just because like it's you feel more connected with it just because it's like they're experiencing what I've experienced, you know, and, and not not in a level of like the end of the world, but like, you know, just as simple as like your first time playing Mortal Kombat, you know, like how how awesome that was. So, yeah, 100 percent. It brought me back memories of probably being a bit too young playing that game on Sega Mega Drive. Mm -hmm. <laughs> pulling people's skeletons out through their like heads <laughs> yeah it's awesome so fun and i know i can't believe i was allowed to play that <laughs> that my parents allowed that i don't think they were aware of just how uh violent actually was i think you touched on this earlier about the sort of in episode one where it when you start getting introduced to in infected and how it was quite it's quite cha chaotic once the outbreak happens but you can tell 
you know, the show does jump between various time periods. And, you know, at some point, the world in 2003 is very chaotic and loud. But when you get to the modern day, it's very still. In a way, like the world feels like it's healing itself from what's happening, even though there are people who are infected. Was this a creative decision from the start or was this just something that went that happened along the way? I think with the world, it I mean, it's the original part, you know, it's really populated. It's 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 Austin, Texas. It's a city. It's, it's an everyday 2003 cars, school, you know, just normal life. And I think that it's a pretty deliberate decision sonically to like start with that kind of world where it just feels like an everyday, like a real place, like a city. As we've jumped forward, the population is so thinned. Things have been, the world has collapsed. And so that quiet and that like that quiet and the nature and, um, and in the QZ, just like, uh, like the quarantine zone in that, in that area, like the lack of technology and lack of resources that these people have. I mean, it's pretty, it was pretty intentional. I think one of the most difficult things in designing this show is that a lot of shows have set locations, you know, you're in one place and then you're character and then you have other characters in another place. And, and it's pretty typical of television, I think, to have these multiple storylines going on in these multiple places. And so you get to really reuse those kinds of ambiences and 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 revisit those spots. And this show, it's it's really it was really hard because it was um abandoned world. You can't use traffic, you can't use planes, there's not any people. So it's all whatever's around that environment and they're it's a road trip tv show essentially you know they're they're starting in like quarantine zone boston and then they go to abandoned boston you know and then they're in kansas city and and are in the forests and then they're in kansas city and those buildings and, and you know and now the mall and cheyenne and wyoming it's it's but all it has to feel abandoned it all has to feel destroyed it all has to feel quiet and like they have they're in this world that you know they're really isolated and that and every place they visit hasn't been kept up and is rusty and creaky and so it's um it's one of the most difficult things of, about this show was trying and deliberately designing all these environments to try uh, to tell the story of the place of, and of what what's gone on when you do listen to the various soundscapes of it all. I think it's the idea of having everything so still. And I know I mentioned before having the idea of like always having, trying to have eyes at the back of your head to make sure that nothing's there. But there's always in terms of like jumping from various places to places. So going from the QZ to an abandoned Boston where in sort of episode two, you walk in through the flooded hotel and also having kansas city where it's basically an outlaw town run by the rebels that has a different kind of stillness to it where you have that feeling of like something is definitely not right and it's not the infected as we find out when joel and elia are ambushed right i guess presented in various ways in terms of not just the uh, soundscape but it also visually yeah, we have to give huge credits to those teams. I mean, they they gave us such a playground in terms of, and such good world building and direction visually, and and the picture editorial, and how it's shot, and and just how it's written, production design. It's also like gorgeous and so well put together that it, it it was really inspiring in terms of putting that putting that world together and trying to like 
oh, they did such a good job. We need to we need to make sure we're we're stepping it up and putting it in just as much work to to make this as like sonically gorgeous or sonically um, intense as they're doing visually. Yeah, I mean, something like that. It's just when you have filmmakers that know what they want and everyone just is on the same page with with everything. It just makes it such a fun experience. And it, you don't have to like guess like it, it when you watch when you watch, you know, a scene like it tells you what it wants. And that, you know, that makes our work that much not easier, but like it's just it, it makes our instincts kind of really kick in. And we, you know, we can tell like what this this scene needs to sound like or that scene needs to sound like because of the filmmaking is just so great. There's just no question about it. And and just because, you know, Craig, Craig Mason along the way just like was really like vocal about everything he wanted to. And and so it was really cool to collaborate with him on all that. And it's just everyone was just on the same page and firing all cylinders. And that was pretty amazing. Because this show has multiple directors and creatives working at the same time. Like, who do you, I, I, I would understand that you report to sort of Craig when sound designing, but how does working with so many different people uh, affect the way that you work and what you want to create? Or is it a case of the directors have a brief that they want you to follow and then Craig signs off on it? Or is it a case that Craig oversees everything? It's more of the case that Craig oversees everything. The only other director we really um, engaged with was Neil, and I think he directed episode two. And he and he was he was pretty involved with that episode, and he came to the stage a lot. And he, you know, he gave us notes, and he was involved in some some of the ADR sessions, like when we were doing the clicker stuff. But um, it was pretty much it was pretty much all on Craig to really kind of give everybody the last green light on how this needs to sound. And and you know, Chris and I are pretty we like to we like to make fun big sounds and and you know we're both pretty good at it and Craig would have to like kind of rein us in a lot too right like he had to remind us like hey man like this this is a show that should feel real and and he and even though we would like tone it down he'd be like it still needs to get more toned down and there are moments where Chris would be like oh okay and then you watch <laughs> you'd watch it and you'd be like man he's right like because you can get caught up in a moment or a scene and you wanted to make it exciting and sonically fun and it is all fun when it's real but like it he he's he sees the big scope of how all the episodes connect you know so having that guidance is is was was just key on that yeah or, or moments that we were playing as unimportant that were really important or because of his whole vision or moments that were we were playing is very important that we should have just let pass by you know having that kind of direction is really was really important Neil was super great too. Yeah, he um he's the one who created the game and is, you know, one of the heads of Naughty Dog, the game studio. So to actually be around him was awesome because we were like, oh, this is so cool. Like you you made the game that we love that we're working mm -hmm. like oh, it was it was like cool to see him direct these episodes or like or direct like I think it was one episode, but he was around for for some playbacks and would pop in occasionally to just check in on things and yeah, and when, sorry. Is and Craig's relationship was really cool too because they they were super collaborative and so it was like, you know, everybody seemed to really just love this love this story, and just wanted to make it as good as we can. And it was cool to see Craig. Like I always wanted to work with Craig since I saw Chernobyl, so getting to be a part of this was pretty pretty rad. And just seeing Craig be like kind of like a fanboy to Neil because he was such a, I mean that that dude obviously loves the game. 
and to like and to just kind of like see him and Neil interact it was like it was it was pretty fun and just just to see a fan just like meet like someone that created something he loved so much and being able to like turn that into a show and um so my but one of my favorite moments was when when Neil came back for the playback of episode two and uh when we got through the clicker scene, like he think he gave me like one note on something. And I was just like, no way. Like, okay, cool. All right. If he says it's cool, then I guess, I guess we nailed it. So that was a, that was a big moment for me to like, when I could be like, take a deep breath and like, okay, cool. I got this. It's fine. Like if I can, if I can get the clickers approved, then cool. Then, then I'm not going to worry that much, but through the rest of the process, it was still like, always like, I hope I did this right. You know? So I'd always hit up, I, you know, Chris and I would call each other at like, 11 o'clock or midnight sometimes just kind of like man did we really like do this ride or whatever whatever and so I, I just i think it, it harks back to like everyone was just so invested on making this this show right for the fans and even up to the sh- the, the the showrunner so you know everyone was on the same page on that so that was really cool i think as well having someone who was who created the original source material come on board and just be like i wonder what their reaction must have been like seeing everything that's created basically in real life rather than as a video game that being like the sets the sort of sound design um and the visuals because i know uh, as it's like a different medium you don't want it to be a carbon copy but how weird must that be that you had all these ideas in your head and then other people have brought it to life and you could kind of like walk hear smell and feel what you've created Mm. Completely. Yeah, you can literally go touch a clicker. <laughs> like, yeah, I mean, he, he talked about that. Like he'd come, he'd come on the stage, or we'd have conversations. And like as professional he as he was, he would still like just kind of be in awe of the whole thing. Like, yeah, it's like it's now become this tangible thing that he created. And I think he's he, you know, that's that's he he always felt so humble about it and excited and 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 a fan of himself. So it's just cool to be around those people that just love love that world and and getting to watch him see it come to life was was pretty was pretty rad because he talked about it all the time. Like he had all these stories from set and the first time I saw a clicker and he was like terrified and but like oh man this is awesome and like I can't imagine what that feels like. Do you think do you think he would be like scared of the own clickers? So he's like, oh, I was so scared of my own creation. And then that first day he walks on set, he just bumps into it. He's just like that whole fear comes over him again. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> I bet it's all of the the hours put in of how to design them, <laughs> all the flashbacks. Well, it's I like, think I saw a picture a few weeks ago where it was like behind the scenes of of episode two where he's directing the museum scene. And, and there's a photo of him like directing a clicker and the clicker's like all make has his makeup on and stuff, but his hands are kind of on his like hips and just like listening to the direction. <laughs> it's just so funny to me. Yeah. yeah. And like, do you think he like, he gives him the direction? All right. I want you to come around the corner like this. And he acknowledges by going, ah! and then gets, <laughs> gets into his, you know, his spot. But yeah, man, like good for him, dude. Like he created, he created such a cool world. So it's, it's cool to, it's cool to watch it become tangible. And it, it's, it's, it's always cool too. And, and like, he's a, he's a super sweet guy and really, really cares and, and super appreciative of all of us. So it's like being on the stage with him and having that little family. I mean, that's, that's also why the show's so good because everyone just cares and cares about each other. And, you know, when you have that, when you have that environment, you know, everyone wants to do their best work. Yeah. And I think there's a, Good moment to shout out our the rest of our crew who really put in a ton of time and effort just as much as we did. Who really mm-hmm. care? Uh, our supervisor Michael Benavente and and 
Kevin Roach are, and my, Mark Fishman are uh, are re-recording mixers. And then Mitch Lesnar, Jacob Flack, Matt Yoakum, and Odin Benitez are, uh, are sound effects editors who all just were working as hard as they can to make this as good as as, as we all wanted. Now, I think as well on a show like this is the giving kudos to your crew as well, because there is without without each other, you can't create um, what you need. And also there's probably been those sort of, as you said, calling each other up at 11 or uh, midnight, 11 at night or at midnight, sort of like, have we done this correctly? Have we done that? But it also shows how much like dedication and like and how proud you are of your work to make sure that you guys can nail it. Yeah, so I mean, it's funny you bring that up, and it's funny that Chris brought that up because it sounds like an uncommon occurrence between us two when we were working on this thing. But it was like it would be like a couple nights a week. It would be a midnight one a.m. call or text, like, "Hey, are you working?" Yeah, I'm working. <laughs> yeah, I get a you up text from Chris, <laughs> <laughs> and be like, "I can't figure out this moment. Do you have any recommendations?" Yeah. And vice versa. It was it was really cool and collaborative, and it was yeah, and like we we also had a Dropbox too, where like we'd have like these like wacky ideas at any time, like hey, try this. I'm sending you sounds, and vice versa. And so we'd create like this library of just like just cool stuff that we'd share with each other along the way. That was super helpful. Yeah, and even hearing that like you up text sort of thing makes me chuckle. But that's also insane how much sort of work you guys had to be put in into the project. I'm curious, what was your favorite scene or sound design to create mine i think mine was definitely the clickers just because it was such a such a reverse engineering thing that i've never really had to do before that's not true i've had to do stuff like that before but this was just different because it was so it was it was so it was a sound that was it was such an iconic sound based around very specific performances so that having those two kind of like meld together, that was really hard to get, you know, it's not just a sound of something, it's how it's performed and then how, and then bringing that to a very specific scene. So all those kind of things was super challenging, but like being able to, to recreate that and, and, and getting the feedback it did that, that definitely was probably my favorite. Yeah. And, and those tension, those quiet and tension scenes are so difficult too. So and I can't emphasize how much work Chris put in to, to make that right because it was a. Uh, and I, I'm really happy that fans and people seem to react so positively to it and just like uh, and you know seem to love it as much as we do. Uh, I I'd, I'd probably say for me it's the the truck and the plane crash is the stuff that I was the most proud of if I was putting any sound scene. But honestly, there's also just so many moments of quiet that like or the abandoned buildings or that world um, just to that that people don't aren't thinking about and so I, i'm also mm-hmm. just really proud that so much of the world feels real to these to like to to audience members because i think that that was like so much work to make sure that everything felt right you know if, yeah. I, if I had a big moment it would like it's i'm gonna choose a big moment you know a plane falling out of the sky and exploding but those <laughs> little moments were just as just as difficult and i think um are just as important yeah, I think another one of mine too was the the hotel lobby with the the you know the flood. A frog buddy hopping on a little piano. Frog, that, that was that was so fun. Just I felt like I, that was the first episode we both dove into, and I think we both spent the most time on. And there's just there's just an incredible amount of detail in that in that episode, like there is a, through the rest of the show. But I think we were that was the one where you got to really kind of figure out the formula. So yeah, I was just you know be, getting being able to just like cut them just dragging their themselves to the water and all the drips and and that that kind of environment that you don't ever hear was was super fun and 
just like you know, it's not every day you get to, to create a world like that so it's it's hard to pick so that's why obviously it's a clicker for me but there's just so many fun things that we got to do that i'm grateful for yeah if, if we started going scene by scene we'd start nerding out about each individual scene yeah <laughs> so, exactly like the little things that we would do or the, oh, the I love little... this moment and this this thing with the, the junk mm-hmm. right? this little thing like there's so much there's so much to talk about that like you know any specific scene you pick out that we're gonna we're gonna start nerding out about all the sound work that went into it that's the important thing right is that i think when you love your craft there are moments you can nerd out completely and i think that also kind of leaves who you're talking to in the art of like your hard work because there's so much that goes into it and it's also like love attention and uh, dedication just so that the end end user which is the viewer has that the best experience possible and does not get taken out of the show but also is just sort of drawn even more in yeah, totally. Robert, I'm curious, like, do you have scenes that stood out to you? I mean, you've brought up a, a couple scenes here or there, but like from a sound perspective, I'm curious what has affected you as a as a, like an audience member. So there are a couple. I think I've mentioned them already, but I think the I think the idea of soundscapes between the two different time periods is something that is quite interesting to hear in terms of having that chaoticness to then being still and having moments of sort of is something there or not. But I think one of the biggest ones is probably the transition between in episode three, when you see the blanket and it transitions to back to 2003 and you see people being rounded up because you had, it's the early days of the infection. People are being rounded up. People are, you can hear the fear and, people's murmuring and having the baby crying whilst Bill is watching on the monitor. That was a really fun one to do. It was trying to make that as emotional as possible, seeing that blanket that you then find out pretty immediately was that woman with her baby who were both killed. You know, it's it's heavy stuff. And so to try and transition that into a, 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 a like a, a don't tread on me prepper, you know, in his basement is a is a is a pretty difficult thing while still trying to hit that emotional beat but that was i i love that moment so i'm glad that you brought that up because you know what the outcome is of what's happened with people joel's explaining that he's to round people up i think it's even though you know people's as an audience member you're ahead of the character who be ahead of the characters that are being rounded up i think that having that extra sort of dose of people in fear but have that slight bit of hope as well because they think oh we're being saved but reality is they're not (laughs) i think another scene as well i think in episode six i think the idea of when they're in the commune in wyoming i think it's the when you're watching they're watching the film and having that sort of community experience as well i think that's kind of a slightly uh, slightly different in terms of people are used to this life but it's also re being in a room with people who are rediscovering art well not dis- rediscovering should i say discovering art for the first time with movie nights and kind of sitting there with the characters if it's the leads or the background actors and sort of like hearing the murmurs and being there whilst they're enjoying movie night so i know it's very like a simple simple choice but i think those are the sort of human moments in the show that you kind of feel and miss that if this happened in real life those you totally see that happening right 
yeah, those collective experiences are stuff that we would miss. I think even in the pandemic that we had with COVID, it's like you can, I don't want to, I didn't want to bring it up or have those, it will say about the similarities of them, but you do feel that you miss those collective moments together, like going to a football game together, going to a bar, or even just going to the to the movie theater to watch something. Yeah, completely. Yeah, totally. I mean, it's that community and that it's such a contrast too to Joel and Ellie being alone for so long, or their hurt their communities being the communities that are going after them, you know? So it's like it's a just such a beautiful story moment. Yeah, and it's just, it's very, I think you just sort of, I think that's that moment you take back where you actually think that there are, even though there's people that are running from, there's there's also pockets of communities that are thriving and are sort of rebuilding and trying to get back to well, there's being hope, enormous. Right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Having a hope as a society. Yeah, there's hope in, in Ellie's story of being immune and there's, there's hope in these communities and like every... Every little there was hope in the connection with Sam and Henry and 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 Bill you know and Bill and Frank. I think it's the even in the, with society collapsing and seeing the very very worst of people. There's also the the best of them. You know. Yeah, exactly. Just to go to my last question, if say for example the infected became real, um, what is one piece of sound equipment that you would take on your journey? to survive in the in the sort of post-apocalyptic landscape one piece of sound equipment we would take to survive in a post-apocalyptic hmm probably a guitar just you know i'll be real i'd probably die pretty fast <laughs> <That's true. laughs> like, like, <laughs> the survival skills for something like that are so specific and i don't think i'm uh i i would, I would be out pretty fast so let's just i'll take a guitar and i'll uh i'll get the infected's attention real fast <laughs> <laughs> oh man Probably, probably a, oh man, I'll bring drums. <laughs> <laughs> we can start a band. <laughs> we're going to the top of a roof and we're seeing what's yeah. happening. Oh, yeah. I mean, in that situation is like microphones aren't going to be that, that useful. Right. Yeah. You start, start to think about it and, but it's like, but then when you said guitar, I'm like, man, if you break a string, dude, like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I'll just, I'll just hope. I mean. You could maybe take a record player, but you don't have a like. What are you gonna plug it into? Yeah, I know it's the problem. So it's like I think it's just like yeah. At that point, it's it's going full acoustic. You can get one of those. Uh, maybe uh, what are they? The windy radios. <laughs> <laughs> oh, like they have those amps that you can like. I don't know if they still make them, but you like clip them into your sort of like belt buckle. I oh think yeah. Like, maybe have something like that. I think they might be battery powered. I can't remember now. You play guitar? Do I play? Yeah, I don't. You can play guitar know. on the little amp. Yeah, yeah, and, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, and you can have that with you. Walking you. discount. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think they do. They yeah, create, yeah. they create sound. I think that's the acceptable answer. That's an actual real answer, but that if if the world collapsed that hard, I you know I'd I'd be dead. <laughs> <laughs> uh, don't worry, I'd, I'd be right behind you. So. <laughs> So, 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 so it is what it is. <laughs> I'm not gonna come find you guys. Jeez, <laughs> you're banging on drums. Nobody, you know, people are gonna find you. Everyone's gonna know where I'm at. <laughs> Crispy, Christy, thank you very much for joining me today um, and talking about The Last of Us. The Last of Us is uh, streaming now on HBO in America. Yeah, thank you so much, guys, for your time. Yeah, thank you, Robert. 
Oh, thank you so much for for having us. It's been it's been a blast. No, it's been great. Thank you, and thank you so much. You guys both take care. Bye bye. Yeah, you as well. Bye. Have a good one. Thank you for listening. Please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast.